Hello everyone, and welcome to Just Getting By, episode 46, for Monday the 21st of November 2011. My name is Craig Jones, and I'm joined as always by Kempslave. How you doing, Kempslave? Uh, in pain. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's a shame that uh, we don't have a live stream going, uh, so that people could listen to the pre-show. Because uh, today's pre-show has been interesting. Well, hell, uh, Kemslave's whole day has been interesting, and not in a good way. Why don't you uh, uh, briefly tell us, because I actually didn't get the full story. Uh, wh what the hell did you do, do to, uh, to yourself today? Well, I have a somewhat broken chair, and I was, like, drilling holes and, like, patching it up. And um, I wanted to f uh, fill the holes up with... Um, Gorilla glue. So I did that yesterday, and today I was going to trim them. Like, trim all the foam out. Well, guess what? Plastic chair plus knife equals um, knife sliding across plastic and into thumb. Thumb equals um, nice big gouge, like a cut, and blood everywhere. So I actually went to the doctor uh, emergency room and gave me a stitch and because it was bleeding like a motherfucker. It's like the nurse, the doctor, like all looking at it. It's like, what the hell? It's bleeding and bleeding after like me, like probably close to half an hour since I cut it and half an hour since they um, put the stitch in and everything. So they actually had to put like glue in, which is now a mixture of blood and glue. Or like, yeah, you might want to go to a doctor. Maybe you have, like, hemophilia or something. Well, that's not good. Jeez, ouch. God. And, um... So, that was a bad start to the day for you. Now, why don't we uh, also tell the audience uh, why you sound like shit? I actually have no idea. Yeah, now that... Or my stupid Skype program just kept crashing like 20 times. Yeah. I would turn it on, it would crash. I would turn it on, it would crash. But this, is, I... the, this is the really, really messed up part of it. Because you even tried another computer. Yeah, my really crappy laptop, that sort of sounds like the jet engine is taking off like when you're from... Because the fan is like half dead. And that crashed too. So I uninstalled um, IE9, and it's like someone else I saw somewhere else, and it's like, hey, maybe it's Flash. So I uninstalled that, and guess what? It works. Kinda. Kinda, yes. Because uh, you know, it used to be a few like uh, a few months ago, we would sound like shit, but it would be my fault because I was using a very limited connection. It's it's a long story, uh, and sometimes Kemslave sounded the way he does today because of that. But um, yeah, today uh, I don't know, I don't know. So uh, please bear with us, and uh, hopefully his quality will uh, improve in time. All right, Kemslave. So you know, today is Monday, so that means that it's Politics Monday. And uh, we've had an interesting week in politics, haven't we? I guess so. Yeah. You know, uh, what's probably the most fascinating is 
the change to the Republican presidential race. Now, Kemslave. If you just, because, you know, Kemslave has been, you know, a little bit busy the past few days uh, with, uh, with things going on, so uh, he might not have been following this specific story, so I want to ask him, Kemslave, who, without looking at any, you know, any news articles or anything, who would you say is the, the front runner in the Republican nomination for the presidency? Huh. Newt Gingrich? Bastard. Yes. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to say that, actually. Well, uh, yes. Yes and no, actually. Um, Newt Gingrich, who used to be the Speaker of the House from, uh, let me think about this now, 1995 to uh, 1998, I guess. Uh he is now in the lead in some polls. Uh, he is uh, definitely in a four-way race to be the front-runner in Iowa for the Iowa caucus. And he's actually not doing too badly in New Hampshire, either. Uh, people seem to be trying to paint him as the new anti-Romney. Uh, the new candidate who will be the Republican... Well, be the conservative answer to Mitt Romney. Uh, some polls have him tied with uh, Mitt Romney. Some of them have him behind just by a point or two, which means it's a, it is a statistical tie. Um, so, you know, this is fascinating because Newt Gingrich has taken the place now of Herman Cain, who has been unquestionably damaged by these uh, what seem to be fraudulent uh, sexual assault allegations, or these sexual harassment allegations. Uh, so it's, it's fascinating. We've, had, we've seen over the history of this campaign, we have seen several people rise and fall to be the anti-Romney. Uh, at the beginning of the race, you had Michelle Bachman. <laughs> Do you remember her, <laughs> Michelle Bachman? Uh, she uh, she was polling pretty highly. Then you had uh, Rick Perry. When he got into the race, he sucked all the life out of uh, Michelle Bachman, just totally undercut her, and he became the anti-Romney. And in fact, uh, Perry and Romney developed a very close. Uh, rivalry and uh, personal antipathy. They don't like each other. No love lost between those two. But then Perry, uh, because he's an idiot, <laughs> uh, has seen his uh, fortunes fall. And then you had Herman Cain uh, go uh, running into the void. And then he was the anti-Romney. Uh, and then people started to think, well, you know what? This guy uh, has no political experience. And he might be a sexual deviant. So, we're going to have to look elsewhere. So, uh, you know, Newt Gingrich sounds good in debates. Uh, he's experienced, been around the block a few times. Uh, why not choose him? So right now, he is the anti-Romney. I have a question. Yes. What about Newt Gingrich being a lobbyist for Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae? Well, and all you those see, other people. 
you know, I was going to just uh, mention that, actually. You're psychic. Uh, Newt Gingrich uh, has a lot of pluses going for him. He is enormously intelligent. He uh, has a lot of great ideas. He is really a policy wonk. He, um, he is he's a walking think tank. But he has a lot of negatives, too. The man has a very flawed personal history. And he has been uh, a very successful lobbyist in his uh, time after being Speaker of the House. Which is, by the way, not unusual. Uh, what makes his time as a lobbyist a little bit problematic, and by a little bit I mean a lot problematic, <laughs> is his time at uh, Freddie Mac, as you alluded to. Uh, Freddie Mac paid him... Uh, many th hundreds of thousands of dollars for what Gingrich calls just advice that they ended up not taking. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that's a good enough answer. Uh, he has not given a satisfactory answer to why he was paid so highly by Freddie Mac. And... Uh, <laughs> Total around like a million or or two million dollars. Yeah, at the end of the day, he uh, the the exact figure hasn't been made public yet. Anything that you see is an estimate. Uh, he is trying to downplay how much money he got, but he won't admit to how much money he got. So it, I I have no problem at all believing that at the end of the day he might have gotten over a million, maybe closer to two million. Now. Uh, in a way, if he became the nominee, this would be answered in an instant, because he would have to make all that public. Uh, he'd have to make all of his tax filings and income reports open to the public once he became the, the you know, solidified nominee. Uh, but until that point, uh, he can be as private as he wants, and he is being damn private. And uh, this is not the only example of him trying to downplay his past. Newt Gingrich is, uh, as I said, brilliant, but he has been brilliantly terrible in his past life. He, uh, he has had uh, three wives, two of which he divorced under very questionable circumstances. His first wife was, and I didn't know this until a few days ago, but evidently his first wife was... Uh, his high school math teacher. Nice. Now, she was only eight years older than him. She would have been a fresh hire when Gingrich was, uh, you know, in late high school. But still, I mean, that, that that's not the most... Uh, that's not the most uh, wholesome-sounding thing. And then, he divorced her and brought the papers for the divorce into the hospital where she was lying, recovering from cancer. Well, that sounds dickish. Now, it's not quite as bad as it sounds, because they had discussed the divorce in the past, and she wasn't dying or anything. Some some people have tried to paint the picture out that, that she was on her deathbed, and that he had just dumped those papers on her without her knowing. That's that's not true. But still, I mean, it was that's a rather callous thing for him to have done. So then he finds his second wife whom he then, in the middle of his speakership, and I might remind you, in the middle of the, you know, Monica Lewinsky scandal, he 
cheats on his wife with his now current wife, his third wife. See, I don't find the point, fact that he has has his on his third wife as such a negative thing. No, Just, it's uh, or the the circumstances. Yeah, surrounding yeah. them. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the that's the issue. Not that he's had three wives. I mean, uh, some people are just not lucky in love. But every single time, uh, he, <laughs> there's there's been some scandal associated with uh, his uh, his relationship status, and it, it's uh, it's something to consider. So you don't you not only have that, but then you have the questionable ties to lobbyists, and it's. Uh, it adds to a narrative about the man. And the narrative is that he is an egomaniac who is extraordinarily intelligent, but does not have the disposition to be the chief executive of this, uh, of this nation. It's a narrative that I, in my humble opinion, agree with. Newt Gingrich is possibly among the most... Um, not possibly. He is among the most intelligent and fascinating men to ever listen to. He is engrossing. He, um, but, uh, what a lot of people don't know is, uh, he was a, um, historian. He, uh, uh, he has taught history at the collegiate level and he's, uh, he's a brilliant historian. He, uh, he specializes in early American history, uh, where I want to specialize in as a matter of fact. Oh no, another professor. Yeah. Well, no, he had, he was never a career professor. I mean, he did teach, uh, at the collegiate level, off and on, but he would normally be as a uh, a visiting professor, you know, or a, you know, a uh, it would never be like a tenured position. He's always he's 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 a career politician, is what he is. Uh, he's got enormous street cred with the uh, conservative base of the Republican Party. He uh, helped Ronald Reagan in the eighties pass. Some uh, some tax cuts and reform a um, reform welfare and social security. No, yeah, n not welfare. He helped reform social security with uh, Reagan in the eighties, and in the nineties he led the Republicans to gain control of the House for the first time in over forty-five years. It was monumental, and he did it by having a clear and concise message about how to get America back on track. He called it the contract. For America, and it was a list of a hundred things that he wanted to get done in a no. Wait a second. I think it was a list of ten things he wanted to get done in the first hundred days, and he got them all done. It was miraculous. It was an almost magical time to be looking at politics in this country. Unfortunately, his ego did him in. In 1995, he and the then president of the United States, Bill Clinton, had a falling out over how much uh, should be in the federal budget. And uh, eventually, uh, the House just would not pass Clinton's budget. So uh, Clinton shut the government down because there was no more money to pay the government because the budget hadn't been signed. And that continued until Gingrich caved. And he caved because the American people had turned against him. It was massively unpopular, that government shutdown. And it laid the groundwork for his end as Speaker of the House. Uh, he had the idea that he could transform the Speaker of the House into a quasi-Prime Minister. And 
he was wrong. And he suffered the consequences for that error. And he is still just as egotistical as he was back then. So uh, I don't think he's going to be a good president. I don't think he will win the nomination. I think he, his fortunes are going to fall, just as everybody else's have. I think it's a fait accompli that Mitt Romney will be the nominee. He has the backing of all the major financial backers of the Republican Party. He has the groundwork. He ha already had a campaign in 2008, uh, and he kept that campaign apparatus intact. And uh, this, whole, this whole race for the Republican nomination is to see who will be vice president. What say you? Um, it sounds like a very interesting um, idea, and not one that I would um, argue against. Well, I always like to uh, have agreement. That, that's nice. That's 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 really great. All right. So, uh, do you have anything you want to uh, mention about Gingrich before we move on? No. All right then. So uh, we have a little bit of follow up from last week's uh, conversation about Europe. Uh, you know, Kemsave, Europe is fascinating to me. Just absolutely fascinating. You have had Ireland, Portugal, Greece, and Italy all have governments fall because of the Euro and because of the European Union. We discussed the, uh, the, uh, the circumstances behind the fall of um, George Papandreou in Greece and Silvio Berlusconi in Italy. But now we have a fifth country to add to that list. Oh, which you know one what? now? Well, there are two countries that are on the cusp of being just as bad off as Italy is which is only one step behind Greece. And those two countries are Spain and Portugal. Now, Portugal already had its government fall last year, so now it's Spain's turn. Now, the ruling Socialist Party has been, man, uh, <laughs> has been led by a man named uh, Zapatero. José Luis Zapatero. And he is about as popular as George Bush was on his last day in office. Everyone hates him? Everyone hates him. I mean, that, that might have been an insult to Bush, because I think uh, this guy, Zapatero, has like, uh, <laughs> like single-digit approval ratings in some polls, or low, 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 low teens in, in most other ones. I mean, this man is about as unpopular as you can get. And uh, his, he, had already, he is so unpopular that he voluntarily said, you know what, I'm not going to stand for election. Uh, you know, as a, you know, he threw the electorate a bone trying to get them to support his party. But they didn't. They handed the Socialist Party one of the worst defeats in Spain's modern political history. Today. Well, no, I'm sorry. Today, as we, as we record this show... Yesterday, for those of you listening, on Sunday, the Conservative Party, which um, 
you know, I'm 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 drawing a blank. Oh yeah, uh, they call themselves the People's Party in Spain, led by by a man named Mariano Rajoy. Won, like two to one. It was a breathtaking defeat. But uh, he is going to have a. By the way, uh, Rajoy, being the leader of this party, is going to be the new prime minister. Um, I don't know enough about Spanish po- politics to know how quickly uh, he will become prime minister, but I-, I would guess it would be relatively soon. It would be almost immediately. But his party got between 181 to 185 seats in their lower house, which is, you know, the equivalent of like a British House of Commons. It's it's the most powerful house in uh, in Spain's legislature. And that controls who's prime minister. And the Socialist Party will only have about 111 to 115. I mean, it is a massive, massive majority for the conservative. And uh, it's... It's going to be fascinating to see what Spain does, because this, unlike Italy, and unlike Greece, is a democratic election. And this man, uh, Rajoy, is not a technocrat, as the uh, people who are in the in-crowd like to call uh, the new Italian and Greek governments. No, this guy is a career politician, and he uh, is known to the Spanish people. So he will have a mandate an electoral mandate that these other countries just don't have. And I am going to be fascinated to see what happens in Spain, to see if they can get their debt under control before Mr. Rajoy is forced out, and then some uh, European Central Bank (laughs) uh, stooge is plopped in there. Um, And it's going to... This is definitely a story to keep an eye on into the beginning of the new year. If uh, Rajoy can survive into mid-2012, and I mean that politically speaking, I suspect that he'll be able to hang on for a while. Zapatero, by, by the way, had been prime minister since 2004. So Spain is one of the more stable parliamentary democracies. Um, so, you know... Uh, like I said, keep an eye on Spain, because I think Spain's going to be a uh, a test. If Spain goes under, so will the euro. But I so, heard that um that uh your um UK might be getting it too. What do you mean? The euro. Oh, they're not getting the euro. Oh no no no. No, as a matter of fact. Uh, Britain has always been against the euro for one very simple reason. They have the third most powerful currency in the world. Uh, The dollar is still the standard reserve currency in the world, meaning many uh, countries, the most countries in the world, uh, with any substantial economy, uh, borrow against the American dollar because it is seen as a stable a safe place to invest. The second, but I'm, most... I'm reading things saying that Britain will have to join the euro. Yeah, well, let me get let, let me let me get to that. The second most powerful currency is the won in uh, 
in China. And Britain has the third most powerful currency. It is the currency uh, that people use third most as a reserve currency, and it is the pound sterling. Now, the pound sterling uh, has a lot of history in Britain, and they will not give up that currency without a fight. And there is no way, absolutely no way, that Britain will allow itself to be forced into the Eurozone. Quite the contrary, there is a lot of talk in the Conservative Party, which rules England right now, about how to get more power back from Europe. And so, they would never support entrance into the Eurozone. Their junior coalition pot partner, the Liberal Democrats, hate the European Union and want to leave it. And even the Labour Party, which is like our version of like the liberal wing of politics over there, they don't want to get rid of the, the, uh, the pound. Nobody in England wants to get rid of the pound. And as a matter of fact, most people in England do want to get more economic freedom from uh, the European Union, not less. Now, I do realize uh, the stories that you read uh, are talking about how the uh, German Chancellor, Angela Merkel, has been negotiating with uh, David Cameron, the Prime Minister of England, or the United Kingdom, I should say, and how uh, she and Nicolas Sarkozy and others in, in Europe have been trying to force Britain into a position where it has to uh, adopt the euro. But it's just not going to happen. Britain is too large an economy. It is the fourth or fifth largest economy in the world. And it, like I said, its, it's currency is so prevalent that it, its currency holds up a significant amount of the European Central Bank's uh, funding. And uh, Britain is quite simply not in the position where it can be forced into anything. And there is no way it will allow itself to get the euro. None. Do you see anything specifically contradicting that? Um, the only thing I saw was some some um, dude Tory grandee Lord Hesseltine saying that the um, former deputy prime minister saying that hey, the we'll have to do it because the Franco-German determination will secure the euro's future and pave the way for Britain to sign up. What you need to realize, and what a lot of people need to realize, is that these so-called lords are appointed to their positions because of service to the country and uh, their life appointments, and a lot of these people are a little bit past their prime when they ascend to the House of Lords. And Lord Heseltine is one of those people. He is a relatively famous man in British politics. Uh, Kemsley, you know about Margaret Thatcher, right? She was the conservative prime minister in Great Britain from 1979 until 1990. Yes, the Iron Lady. Yes. Uh, very famous for her co uh, collaboration with Ronald Reagan and uh, George H.W. Bush in the... Uh, attempt to end communism in Eastern Europe. Uh, she was ultimately brought down by her deputy prime minister, 
uh, who was Heseltine. Uh, so he's famous for that. But uh, he, uh, like I said, he's a little bit past his prime now, and that is not a position that is popular in England. All right, Chemslave, so uh, what else do we have to, to uh, discuss? Um, hmm. I don't know. Let me let me look through our list of stuff. I don't know. There's some um, Catholics. Catholic bishops are are pushing um to keep religious issues at heart at the um on the 2012 race. And you know what? I agree with them. Uh, as you know, I'm agnostic. I don't I don't subscribe to any specific doctrine or idea. Oh well. I'm not dogmatic in my religious views at all. Uh, but you know what? In, Amer- in America, at least... Now, this is in reference to the American elections, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, in America, it is an unquestionable fact of life that America is a very re- religious nation. Over 90% of the people in this country identify with one religion or another. And uh, depending on uh, what studies you look at, anywhere between uh, 60 to 75% of Americans go to church, which means they're actively religious. And uh, that's an extraordinarily high percentage. And uh, I have no problem with uh, issues uh, taking that into consideration. Because, you know, these politicians need to represent people and not just ideas. And uh, I would like to think that being an atheist or being agnostic uh, wouldn't keep somebody from being able to uh, identify with and uh, protect the interests, interests of his or her constituents. And religious interests are just as important as anything else. And so many issues in social policy revolve around religion. Yes, one but this this topic, like the one that quotes, is that uh, the fear that in some states, in some segments, and even in some part of the government, there seems to be a drive to narrow the rights of religion. And they keep talking about like um, um, homosexuals having the right to um, marry, or women having the right to have an abortion. It's your religious right is is not um, hurt by another person having the right to decide for themselves to do X or Y. Well, I would agree with you, but I would say that we can talk about that, and we can we can talk about that in the context of politics, and we can have that debate. You and I could be on the same side, and we are, and we can debate that side of the issue. Against not uh, all issues. Well, no, no, the, 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 this specific relig- uh, you know topic of religion in the, in, the, in this country, um, and uh, other people, more evangelical people, uh, could argue their point of view. And I uh, I saw this article that you're making reference to, and I just don't um, I don't have anything specifically wrong with the idea of injecting more religious talk into politics and both sides do it all the time all the time yeah i don't have an issue with them interjecting maybe religion into politics it's just i i just read that one quote it's like oh yeah or this whole idea of having other people 
having this right to decide is sort of hurting your religious faith. Well, yeah. those people that that are in your religious faith will are of the opinion that a this is bad and this is good, so they are personally will follow your religious ideology. But some people don't follow that religious ideology, and you shouldn't take that th- whatever ta- um, thing we're talking about away from them just because you don't feel like it is correct. Oh no, you're absolutely right. I uh, I do not disagree with you. And, uh, you know, frankly, I don't think uh, the, the, the subjects of this, uh, of this story, the Catholic bishops, would disagree with you either. At least in the principle that uh, one religion shouldn't, be, it shouldn't exist at the exclusion of others. And, uh, you know, I, I think all they want is a debate. Is to have issues that are sometimes due to political correctness, uh, brushed under the rug to expose them and uh, talk about them. That's all, that's all I got from it. That's all I got from it. All right, so just uh, some wrap-up before we uh, close out today's show. So, you know, Kemslave, coincidence, maybe, who knows, Joe Paterno isn't doing so well right now. Oh, so what's wrong with St. Joe now? Well, St. Joe has lung cancer. Oh boy, we can't talk about him now. Well, supposedly is a treatable form. And I think there's going to still be so much outrage over his inaction over the, um, the child rape issues at Penn State that I don't think he could escape criticism at all. Even if the man were to drop dead tomorrow, I'm not confident that he would be able to escape that legacy. Uh, but you're, you're right to an extent. He will probably engender some amount of sympathy that he would not have otherwise. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, I, I, I am starting to get a very negative impression of uh, Mr. Paterno, and uh, I just want him to go away. Not die, but I, I just want him to... I don't want to see his face ever again. I just... I want to be done with the whole situation. I think many of us are of the same opinion on that. Yeah. Absolutely. Alright, well, before we go, then, I just wanted to mention briefly that... <laughs> you know what? We, our state, Kemslave, our state is just so fucked up. You know that? It really is. And Of course, we live here. Yeah, exactly. Now, you know, Kemslave, the capital of, of Pennsylvania is Harrisburg, as a lot of people know. I'm sure some people probably think the capital is Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or something like that. But no, it's, it's Harrisburg. It's a, a uh, city... A small city of about 40,000 people. Uh, well, that's not true. There's more than that. It's like, closer than 50,000, I think. Yeah. But it's uh, situated on the banks of the Susquehanna. It's a nice area. And the city itself is a hellhole. Uh, but they haven't been doing so hot financially. They spent millions of dollars that they did not have 
on this uh, trash incinerator that they ended up not being able to use for some unknown reason. I, I, for, I forget the reason why they couldn't use it. Uh, but that, by itself, put them into so much debt, millions of dollars in debt, that they are trying, some people are trying to declare bankruptcy in, in, in Harrisburg. Like, have the city itself declare bankruptcy, which is astounding. Yeah, now, I know with the incinerator, I actually heard that some company actually wanted to buy it out. But um, the heads of, um, I don't know if it was the mayor or someone said, no, we're not selling it. We want to make this work. And you see what happened now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, the mayor is an unstable, inexperienced, and unqualified woman who is making a mockery out of the, out of the, uh, the position. Her name is Linda Thompson, and she has been known to do such things as stick her tongue out at protesters and, like, do little dances in, in front of windows taunting people who are protesting. And uh, she has been known to throw temper tantrums and just act in the most unprofessional nature possible. So, you know, I almost have no pity for these people. They have, for years, put themselves in this position where they have no financial means to stay relevant, to stay com competitive. And they spend like drunken sailors, and they just don't have the money. Now, Chemslave, do you know what they're trying to do now? Um, I heard they're, um, starting to, uh, sell off whole crap load of, of historical, um, products, items. That's right, but what kind of historical products? Um, stuff from, I think, the, what is it, um, Wild West? That's right, and do you know why we even had those products to begin with? From what I've heard, uh, previous, I'm guessing, mayor wanted to set up a museum. Dedicated to the Wild West. Yes. Now, uh, Chemslave, there are several problems with that. But can you identify the first problem with that? The paramount number one problem with setting up a museum to the Wild West in Pennsylvania? Um, we're not in the Wild West. We're not in any form of the West. <laughs> so, you know, so that's one problem. Another problem is that we didn't have the money. That was around the time that incinerator project was going to shit. So, you know, it's, it's tough to say, but uh, the previous mayor, who had been mayor for like 30 years, just... He screwed up as well. So, you know, this has been a clusterfuck all around. And uh, Harrisburg is going to end up declaring bankruptcy. I'm sure of it. I'm absolutely sure of it. Uh, what do you think? Well, probably will. I hope not. I would prefer them to um, get things um, situated without having to go bankrupt, but you never know. You never know. 
All right. Do we have anything else that we want to talk about before we uh, sign off? Nope. All right. So then, I you know we've had a a tough afternoon. Kem Slave almost chopped his hand off, and uh, that's the thumb. <laughs> almost uh, almost uh, chopped his thumb off. Excuse me. And he uh, also is having connection issues uh, that you probably will end up hearing, I'm sorry to say. But that's all right. That's all right. These things happen. So uh, we apologize for that. And uh, if you have any comments, concerns, criticisms, uh, anything good that we've done that you want to call out, anything bad that we've done, email us. Our email address is feedback at justgettingbypodcast.com. I'll say that again. Feedback at justgettingbypodcast.com. And uh, go to our website at justgettingbypodcast.com to look at links to all of the stories, plus many more that we didn't have time to get to. And also to find links to subscribe to us on iTunes and other podcast clients of choice. All right, Chemslave, I will talk to you again on Wednesday. Yep. See you then.